Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. If you're a pro, you know that this is not efficient because you know there's a better way. There's also a better way to save. When pro customers buy building supplies in bulk at Lowe's, they save up to 20% every day. Buy in bulk and save up to 20% on concrete, gypsum, and gypsum accessories. At Lowe's, buy more, save more. Visit the Pro Desk or Lowe'sForPros.com for details. Discount applies to contractor pack items. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster. And each week we bring the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we're going to L.A. We're going to be in L.A. on November 9th. And Margie won't let me sing the OC theme song because I did on our first take and it messed up the audience. Yeah, no, it's all right. That's just, you know, that's just we're listening and making sure we're making adjustments. California. That sounds much better. That's good. Spoken word. Maybe you need to like (laughs) gargle with some salt water or something and do a little some warm up. Warm up. Gosh. I'm just saying as an observer, not not as 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 a critic not as a practitioner. Um, So yeah, we're going to be doing a live show with the folks at Left, Right, and I mean, yes, Left, Right, and Center at KCRW. You heard Kristen on there a couple weeks ago. I'll be on the next couple weeks. We've both been on together separately. They had to separate us because they couldn't handle all the awesomeness at once. It needs the live venue. That's right. And if you haven't been to the Ace Hotel, which is where it'll be, it is the most awesomest venue. It's one of the nicest venues and theaters I've ever been to. I don't know if, Kristen, you haven't been there, but I went. I have not. I did the live show last year, and it is so incredible. Like, I felt like I had never been anywhere before. I was like, holy moly, look at this beautiful theater. (laughs) I was just blown away by how great it was. I did get to go to the hotel because we had to tape the episode there. But I was there for, I think I was focus grouping. Yes. I think I was running all over the state. Yes, you were there for some I had focus driven groups. in from like Riverside or something. But we are not going to be there for focus groups. We're going to be there for some like full-on California action. So folks, if you are in the LA area, you should take a look. KCRW's Love Rain Center, Josh Barrow's show that we are super excited to be a part of. So um, we will both be there live and in the flesh doing some polstering. And now for this week's top lines. Yes. So I did. The latest. What difference does it make? <laughs> I, I, like I firmly believe there's a Smith song for everything. Yeah. And saw this on Twitter. Somebody said, oh, this is like the official song of 2017. And possibly. What difference does it make? Nothing does seem to change Mr. 39%'s job approval. We will yeah. talk about uh, President Trump and his war on the media. Is it working? I have a small YOLO mode rant about ACA polling. Um, and we'll talk a lot about the hashtag MeToo uh, social media phenomenon from this week where women around the world were posting their experiences with sexual harassment in the workplace. And we'll talk about some fresh polling from Pew about gender equality. 
We'll also dive into the story of Amy Cuddy, uh, a social psychologist who became famous for power poses um, with a TED Talk, but was uh, there's a really uh, fascinating story, I believe, in the New York Times about uh, her, the controversy surrounding her research, and someone went on a YOLO rant against her. Someone went on a YOLO rant against her. And we will talk about our reactions to this whole. Well, we'll explain the controversy and explain our reactions yeah. to it, and uh, the way that the world of social science research has changed rapidly in the last few years. Uh, Austrian pollsters, give yourselves a hand. Austria has elected a 31 year old leader, and the pollsters knew it was going to happen. We will discuss briefly, and then finally, Halloween is coming. We'll talk about polling around Halloween in our <laughs> super high quality polls end of the show segment. But first, the poll of the week. This was on NPR All Songs Considered. They had a little online poll. I don't think they posted the results, which is kind of like a bummer for online polls. Mm. But at any rate, it was super popular on our Facebook and Twitter feed. So which song do you think should be retired? Like, do these songs just have, or they've been played so much that you just don't want to hear them anymore. And most of these are like the songs that were already kind of overplayed in my childhood. I don't know if you have a different experience of them being a little bit younger than me, but like Stairway to Heaven, Bohemian Rhapsody, Hotel California, which was just, you know, God, these were so well, overplayed. Stairway's a joke in Wayne's world, right? Like, right. isn't that they have the sign that's like, no stairway. Right. And But I also, Bohemian Rhapsody, right? And so Freebird, Hallelujah, American Pie, all of those were like massively. I will never tire of Bohemian Rhapsody. Imagine. And then Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the Hawaiian version, which I just think is just a little too soon to complain that that's overplayed. And why isn't Celebrate Good Times come on on this list? That really Oh, yeah. Be... I could live with that one. I could live without that one. That, that one really I might needs... vote for. I, I I don't dislike the Eagles, but I know so many people who find the Eagles extremely polarizing and are not fans. And so I would imagine that if I had to poll my friends with this list, Hotel California would be the one people would hmm. pick. Cats in the Cradle. I mean – I God, I, really, I love that song as a kid. I don't know. Some of these I would be sad to see go because I just feel like there are so many other worse songs. But right now, the song that I want to retire is the Imperial March, you know, Darth Vader's sort of theme this is, song. This is the greatest story <laughs> Which ever. last night, my son, who is two and change, insisted that I sing to him as a lullaby for like you know, 15 minutes, like, <laughs> I don't really know the full <laughs> version. I just know, like, the two measures of it, you know. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me, <laughs> Like, the things you do for your children that you do not expect, and one of them is singing the Imperial. Beckett is March. already <laughs> exhibiting signs that he is going to the dark side of the force. Amazing. I feel like this is something that I would expect to hear on my favorite non-The Pollsters podcast, the, the substandard, because those those are the guys who first wrote the actually the empire is the good guys article right. about like actually the dark side guys are the, the maybe, they're the heroes of maybe Star Wars. Beckett like, should be a guest on their show. I know <laughs> Beckett is like a little baby substandarder. It's uh, He's like no, mommy. I'm like, why don't you sing to mommy? Okay, why don't you sing it for for the next sixty times? And he's like, no, mommy, you sing. Da 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 da. You sing. <laughs> Anyway, oh, it was pretty amazing. Um, it's pretty insane. It's just not even it doesn't even the top the top the five craziest things he's done this week. Anyway, so that's my vote. It's not on this list of songs to retire, but you could vote. We'll link to it as we always link to things online polls, the NPR, all things considered, all songs considered poll. So in more serious news, what is happening? 
what is happening? Does it even matter what is happening in the world of Trump? I just can't even take it sometimes. And this week has been one of those times. Uh, President Trump right now, his job approval is sitting at 38.6%. So you can round that to 39%. Like I said, I wanted Mr. 40% to be the number that stuck because it rolls off the tongue a little easier. That's fine. Mr. 39%, it's it's not like, you know, I'm not rooting one way or the other for the poll numbers. It's just easier from a marketing and nicknaming perspective. And we know how important marketing and nicknaming is in politics these days. But I can't call him Mr. 40% because he's not. He's Mr. 39%. Right. We still are true to the facts here. For the moment. And, you know, a little bit of uh, what may... It's always hard to say is infl- – you can't draw a causality arrow that says, oh, this thing happened and that is why his numbers went down because also they didn't really go down that right. much. But there is some fresh polling about uh, reactions to the president's handling of uh, the federal government's response to recent hurricanes in September when this question was asked. And I believe this was – it was post-Harvey, post-Irma, mm-hmm. but not post-Maria. Um, we saw approval was pretty high, 64% approved of how Trump was handling that. Now he has a net disapproval of handling of hurricanes, 44% approve, 47% disapprove. So still better than his overall job approval rating, but definitely a fall from a month ago. Was this the same outlet? Was this CNN, the poll we talked about before? Or was it a different outlet? Was it a different outlet asking the question a little bit differently? Because, because I think the other outlets asked about the individual storms mm. and then or, and then also had asked about um, whether or not there was that question about should you help people living in Puerto Rico? Should you help people living in Texas and Florida? And right. that people were less interested in us helping Ugh. Puerto Rico and, w- and many times did not realize they are U.S. citizens. Right. I wonder if the fact that this question says, do you approve or disapprove of the way Trump is handling the federal government's response to recent hurricanes? Does that change it? I don't know. You know, the fact that the federal government is in there is a kind of like... Well, yeah, and it give you a little bit more permission to say disapprove than perhaps you would. If well, it was but just it looks like this is it looks like this is the same question asked twice. Yeah, um, within so it's gotten worse. So it has gotten it has gotten much worse post Maria, right? So that's one. Um, you know, obviously there are a variety of other things going on. There's you know the tax debate. There's the healthcare debate. There's still international threats. We won't be able to go into all of them. Um, there's the latest. Squabble. I know. Yeah, they, sure they, know they know that we're recording. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> uh, helicopters flying over the house. Sometimes that happens in Washington, D.C., you know? Sometimes it happens. Yes. It's, it is 39%. <laughs> That's what the polls show, okay? Don't come after us, okay? Um, so... Uh, you know, there's the latest fight with a Gold Star family. The second time he's had a fight with a Gold Star family and a member of Con- also a member of Congress. That's not going to be reflected in these polls because that just happened. Um, and we don't haven't seen any individual questions asked about that. Um, so we don't know exactly what's driving where Trump is, but it's a lot, you know, it's sort of more of the same in terms of bad news for him in terms of issues as well as his overall numbers. Um, what do you think when you take a look at the healthcare numbers or some healthcare polling? There's obviously healthcare news. I worry that all of it seems a little tough to break through in the news cycle and difficult to even understand for a lot of voters? I mean, what's your Well, take? so part of this is because there, so there's this number that comes from Politico Morning Consult where people were asked 
Um, based on what you know, do you believe the nation's major news organizations fabricate news stories about President Trump and his administration or not? So the word here is fabricate. And 46% of people say, yes, they fabricate stories about President Trump and his administration. And that that is a bar that to me is much as much stronger than do they mess up? Yeah, they mess up. Do they not, are they biased do, against are they biased against him? Do they not give him the benefit of the doubt? Yeah, I, you can. I I think those are fabricate though. I mean, that implies like a level of intent and really bad behavior. And the fact that it's forty six percent say yes, thirty seven percent say no, seventeen percent no opinion. I, Yikes! Uh, I mean, so there are a couple other. So if you were really, you know, if you wanted to break this down further, this is not a critique of this question because I think the question is clear. However, there are other, you know, I have more questions. Right? This this stirs up other questions than it answers them. Right now, do if you had a lie, is that different than fabricate? Do people answer yes to fabricate when they're really thinking like? They take a nugget of a thing and make it a big giant story. So they're kind of fabricating a thing. They're not really, you know, it's not really a story. It's just like somebody got mad at somebody else and now we we Melania's shoes. Oh gosh, Melania's shoes. Right, right, right. Fake, fake Melania. Fake Melania. What is that? You know what? I only have halfway seen what that news story is. I don't. I know. I was in a meeting and I came out. I was like, fake Melania. I'm like, how much time do I spend trying to make sure I'm caught up on fake Melania? And then I, I was like, maybe. Not that much. Okay, or then I nope. was like, okay, I'm nope. caught up now. Um, so, so the fake Melania would be like a fake news story, right? But it, are there other things like palace intrigue or what have you that people say? Oh, that's just kind of overemphasized. Are people thinking about that when they answer fabricate? One, two, major that nation's major news outlets like. What are people thinking about when they include that? You know, are they saying, well, you know, somebody does, and that could be any of these 10 different outlets I'm thinking of. Right, because Trump does call individual, you know, he's been on a war with NBC News over the last few weeks. And, you know, CNN has now become synonymous in Republican circles with the far left, which is fascinating. Like, I don't actually hear conservatives complain about MSNBC at all anymore. It is all CNN. Right. I mean, look, I'm just trying to come up with sort of a charitable other side to this to explain why this a plurality, almost half, say, yes, major news outlets fabricate, because that's kind of a horrifying number for me. Well, and I keep trying to come up with explanations for there's a second follow-up question that they ask, which is, should the federal government have the power to revoke broadcast licenses of major news organizations, it says, are fabricating news stories about a president and his administration? And a majority of American registered voters say, no, it should not have the power, but it's only 51%. 28% say, yes, it should have the power. And that is a plurality of Republicans at forty at 46%. And I tried to think of, like, what's the charitable explanation for this, right? Um, and, well, first of all, I think people don't realize how broadcast licenses work. Yeah. And already – um, the FCC commissioner, who was, uh, he's a Republican, you know, has come out and said, no, that's, we're not, that's not how this works. But with the concept of they're fabricating stories about me, if we take fabrication as, as your definition, which is this charitable, like they're taking small things and they're blowing them up into big things. Right. Um, that's one thing. If we're talking that they are just making like things a, up, up entirely, a story. just yeah. making up a story. Like, hey, I got I'm, a good – I'm good not a lawyer. Up. I'm yeah. not a lawyer. But even if you are famous or a government official, 
can you not pursue, like, it, aren't there legal ways to sue for, I mean, and of course, the truth is always a defense, right? So you can't sue a news organization for publishing something mean about you if that mean thing is true. Right. Um, but it has always struck me that, uh, you know, and it's kind of like cherry a put, picking your, put your money where your that, mouth is. Right. If you say, oh, the news organizations are always making up fake things about me. Well, the president has never in his past been shy about using litigation. Right. Um, but of course, if you sue, then doesn't that mean there's a discovery process? And again, the truth is a defense. So I just, you know, it seems to me there actually should be legal remedies for people if there is something that is false about you that is spread via a news organization. But you have to be able to prove that it's false. Right. And should be able to demonstrate it. Right. And that's not really what we're talking about here, I don't Right. Think. And people do cherry picking all the time. I mean, you know, we can think of lots of examples of the news cherry picking or not having a full complete picture or what have you. And that's not what we're talking about here either. I think, you know, what I think is meant by this debate is not my charitable explanation, but actually true, you know, like a made up story. Like I'm going to sit down, you know, put a pencil behind my ear and come up with a, the craziest story I can come up with from scratch with a blank piece of paper, you know, and, um, you know, the fact, if it's really true that 46% of Americans think that that's, that that is happening from our major outlets, I mean, that's a very incredibly difficult thing to... But we didn't just get here because President Trump ran for president and had a big microphone. I mean, we got here because over years and years and years, trust in the quote unquote mainstream media has been eroding. And in some cases, I think not without cause. Right. Right. Okay. Well, the other big story this week, uh, the revival again of the healthcare issue. It's the issue that won't go away. Uh, and in part because, you know, we've talked on the show about how important this issue is to folks on both sides who feel very strongly about it. Um, there is some new Kaiser Family Foundation polling out on the issue, and I have, I have a beef. I have a beef. So right now, the favorable, unfavorable rating of the Affordable Care Act is a net positive. Uh, 51% of people in the Kaiser poll said they had a favorable view of the ACA, 40% a negative view. This is the first time the law has the law has been in positive territory for most of this year, after having been in pretty negative territory during, you know, 2013, 2014, uh, you know, it, kind of in the lead up to the last presidential election, and then suddenly... It all flipped. I mean, this is this isn't the only mm. issue. There have been lots of fights or or battles that you know Trump has taken the lead on, or have been part of our political dialogue over the last year, where you've seen this party gap widen. This is one of them where people feel like they now are more energized to protect something that is under threat. You see it if you look at things like trade or what have you, where there's now more of, or NATO, all these things where you now see a little bit more of a partisan divide. Anyway, sorry, continue. Uh, so they they then also asked this. So this is polling beef number one which we confront when we are talking about policy polling in general, is asking people to give their opinion on CSR payments, which is, uh, for those who may have been following the news net less closely, is a payment that is made to insurance companies to compensate them for providing policies to folks where the benefits are perhaps more generous than the premiums they can charge or the co-pays that they can require people to pay. So it's, um, 
so this is framed as some lawmakers are working on a bipartisan le- on bipartisan legislation to help stabilize the marketplaces. Okay, so you've already started right. off by like messaging about the policy. This right. is like that is a nice, happy roses and sunshine framing of this. And bear in mind, I don't have a strong opinion on on this. I, I'm just reading this question made me angry. Some lawmakers are working on bipartisan legislation to help stabilize the marketplaces. Under their plan, Congress would guarantee funds to continue these payments to insurers, and in return, states would be given more flexibility in the types of plans that can be sold on their state marketplaces. I mean, you've teed it up with like a message, and it hasn't, I mean, I suppose maybe earlier in the questionnaire they explain what a CSR payment is, but this sounds like you've just asked people like, fluffy bunnies and free health care, support or oppose. Well, you know, and they that, find bipartisan support for support. I mean, hey, it completely knew? exact. I mean, there is. I mean, that there. It is interesting that there's no partisan divide whatsoever. It's basically which to me suggests you haven't actually presented the policy accurately. <laughs> like that. Like that to me is or not maybe, a sign that like everyone just agrees. It's a sign right. that like you wrote a bad question, right? Or so, I mean, no, no. I I hear you. I mean, look, it's true with. For all of these things, you're asking people, you know, to weigh in on things that are pretty freaking complicated. Now, it says CSR in the headline. They didn't use the phrase CSR in the – And I assume from the so- way this is written, they have to have had earlier in the questionnaire uh, to continue these payments. Like, it is, it implies to me that somewhere else in the questionnaire they've described payments, but this chart has been floating around without that context. So anyhow, yeah, I'm going to take a look. I, yeah. I, it, that, so that frustrated me. Then the second one, and this one was one that in conservative circles was getting a lot of anger. And I some, I do not always agree with uh, angry conservative Twitter, but this time I did. Um, this is a question. Moving forward, do you think President Trump and his administration should do what they can to make the current health care law work? Or should they do what they can to make the law fail so they can replace it later? Like, give me a break. But hasn't on this he question. said that? But hasn't he said that? I think he has said it's failing on its own. It's failing on its own. And so we're not going to step in and save it. And we're going to just let it do its own thing. And then when it crashes and burns, everyone will see that we need. So I think there is a difference between trying to make the law fail and saying, we're not going to step in and save it. I, I do think there's a difference there. And I think mm-hmm. framing this as, should people do what they can to make the current healthcare law work? Like, I mean, the, the the question just to me seemed like the most absurd framing that is engineered by an organization that I feel has a vested interest in wanting to show, look, everybody loves the ACA, to say, oh, look, we found this poll number that says, look, people say you should do what you can to make it work, Um I mean, it's actually notable that Republicans are pretty split on this. Right. <laughs> even when you frame it as try to make the law fail, you get 43% of Republicans picking that option. But I think I just really disliked this question. I think if the question is, should they try to make adjustments to the law to address flaws in it? Or should they leave it alone and let it function as is? is, I think, an interesting, let it function as written in the law. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can argue the CSR payments, which is something, you know, Congress has to allocate the money. If they don't allocate the money, but that's like it's written in the law. 
All I'm saying is this yes, question no, I was I, like, I, I to- now I feel like I can't trust any of this Kaiser Family Foundation polling because they're so in the tank for like loving the ACA and it's like, ugh, but they have so much data on this. I wish I could trust it. So the, I, no, I think, I mean, I think those objections make a lot of sense. All right. So there is another question that they asked. So I just looked it up. Um as you may know, currently the federal government pays insurance companies to cover the cost of lowering deductibles and co-payments for low-income people who buy insurance on their own. That's fair. That's fair. It's complicated, but it's fair. But that's accurate. Yeah. The Trump administration has said they may stop making these payments, and insurance companies say in response that they would raise premiums or stop selling insurance on the marketplaces, which comes closest to your own view. These payments amount to a bailout of insurance companies and should be stopped, or Congress should guarantee the funds to continue these payments to help stabilize the insurance market. I mean, I don't think there's anything here that's misleading. It's just a lo- you're taking things into a lot of different directions. You know, yeah. it's just, uh, you know. Well, and now I'll, I will criticize my own side. The idea that these payments were a bailout to insurers is also not really correct. I had like a great con- – there's a great piece by Ovik Roy, who's a right-of-center healthcare guy, and he kind of explains it. it. This is not like a bailout to an insurance company. It's that the law is requiring them to do stuff that is forcing them to lose money. The law knows that it's forcing them to do something to lose money, and so it's trying to compensate them for that. It's not bailing them out because the insurance company – did something dumb and is losing money. Mm-hmm. So to, so right. for conservatives calling this a bailout, that is also wrong. I mean, right. Which and, is not so much a criticism of the question, but... Well, and also, I mean, I guess you could say this is double bear. Um, well, it says these, pay, you know, one side, these payments amount to a bailout and should be stopped or Congress should guarantee the funds to help stabilize. Insur- like, you could think they're a bailout, but also, you know, want them to continue. You know, I mean, they're not necessarily, you know, you're, it, there are a variety of things going on in this question. And if you're just stumbling upon this survey, you might say... I'm having a hard time figuring out what you're asking me or yeah. how to evaluate it. Because remember, even the first sentence is complicated. As you may know, here are a variety of, you know, 10 and 20 cent words. Um, so meanwhile, the results show 60% say Congress should guarantee the funds. A third say they're a bailout and should be stopped. Among Republicans, 55% say they're a bailout and should be stopped. 38% say Congress should guarantee the funds. Democrats, 82% wanted them to continue. 14% say stop. So, and independents are going to independent, obviously. Independents are going to independent. They're just like the overall. Um, I kind of want to make a shirt that says that independents are going to independent. Nobody would, nobody would just listen to the show. Um, so anyway, so that's, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's, in, it's interesting. And I, you know, the other thing is, here's the other thing, and this goes back to this, does it, any of it matter, Right. This may be the legislative battle that's happening now. Ultimately, is this the lens through which people are viewing? Are they thinking about like, well, I had a, and I had an opinion about the Affordable Care Act, but now I'm hearing about these CSR payments and I feel X, Y, and Z about these payments? Or are, is all of this just a reflection of how people feel about Obamacare? And I think, you know, a lot, in a lot of cases, people's views on this – ultimately are going to be driven by their personal experiences. If you if you lose your doctor, you're going to dislike the Affordable Care Act. If you couldn't afford health insurance before and you can now, you're going to like the Affordable Care Act, right? That there are there's a lot of like how is this affecting you personally that's going to be involved in people's opinions. And I think with the CSR payments in a way there's 
you know, if you get Medicaid, it doesn't affect you. If you get your insurance through an employer, it doesn't affect you. Like, there's actually a fairly small sliver of people who would be affected by this. And theoretically, for those people, if their premiums were to go up to make up the difference, then theoretically Obamacare subsidies. So I think there's also a question of how many people are going to actually see their health insurance change because of this. And if it's a lot then I think you will see numbers get way worse for Republicans. Right. Or even if it's not a lot, but Democrats are successful in saying anything bad that happens with Obamacare from this point forward, that's your fault because you did this one thing. Like, I will not think that that is necessarily an intellectually honest position to hold. Okay, Republican hat back off. But like, I will get politically and from a polling perspective. That could also make sense and happen. Right, right. And, you know, people who may see their premiums go up may not actually be the people, you know, will be people outside of this, you know, the folks who would get subsidies, right? Yeah. This is meant to help. Anyway. Okay. Some, that's Kristen's YOLO rant. Yep. I think it makes a lot of sense. I understand where you're coming from. These are tough, uh, tough polling questions, tough political questions. I might questions. also have a YOLO rant on the hashtag Me Too cast. Okay. Well, that's where we're going to go to next. <laughs> Me Too. And... I had a lot of people writing Me Too stories on my feed all yeah, weekend. Yeah, me too. And it made me so angry. I just wanted to go and like punch people. I mean, people were like telling these stories that I could not. I mean, there is one friend of mine who Chris Austin knows. I know has listened to the show. Like, is the night, like, literally one of the nicest people in the world. And she was like, you know, wrote her story and I could not even, I'm like, how could, I mean, it just makes me want to just go out and stab people. So I had a little bit of rage thinking about everybody's me too. And everybody's all the stories of it that are coming out about Harvey. I mean, every actress that wrote a piece, I read quite a few of them, even though it's like painful. And then like, my phone is constantly like, do you want to read this thing about Harvey Weinstein? Do you want to read this? I'm like, no, uh. it, and they're just all horrible. Like, they're all disgusting and horrible. And I appreciate that we, that women are now demonstrating to folks, you know, around the country how prevalent this is. I don't know if that's n- news to people. Maybe it is. Maybe news to men. It's certainly not news to women, obviously. Yeah. But is it news to men? And how does that change things? I do like the idea of us of demonstrating that you don't need to be Harvey Weinstein in order for it to be a problem. Yeah. Maybe you need to be Harvey Weinstein for it to be on the front page of the New York Times and in the news for three weeks. Um, but it, it, so you don't need to be Harvey Weinstein for it to actually be such, you know, to be damaging to women. Anyway, um, and so then Washington Post ABC asked a polling question about this, and 54% of women said that something inappropriate had happened to them, unwanted sexual advances. Now, this is a very specific subcategory of um, sexual, you know, discrimination and the harm that women face. Unwanted sexual advances is actually just it's not all of it. That's just one mm-hmm. thing. You don't have to, I mean, lots of the stories that are coming out, some of them are not necessarily about advances. They could be other kinds of intimidation and so on. Um and words and et cetera at the work workplace. Um, and uh, if you ask about at work or for someone who had influence over their work situation, the numbers go down a little bit, 30% and then 23% of women, but still, you know, pretty, 
pretty high. Um, what did you think when you looked at these numbers? So, of course, I put my pollster hat on and I was like, how are we defining unwanted sexual advances? Like, I immediately went to the, like, how are right. we defining the terms in this question? Because it could have just been like, nah, I'm not interested. It doesn't mean Yeah, like, like if, if what you're talking about is like you were out at a bar and a guy came up and was trying to hit on you and was like, can I get your number? And you were like, uh, no, thank you. Uh, have a wonderful evening. And like, then he was like, cool, and walked away. Right. Like, technically, that's unwanted. That was an unwanted sexual advance. But I also don't think that I would feel like victimized in that situation. On the other hand, like, I mean, I. It says that you felt were inappropriate. It doesn't doesn't usually go that way. It says that you felt were inappropriate. It says. Uh, So that makes it a little bit. That gives it more. That you felt, yeah. And I I think that is. But still. It it makes it subjective, but I think that's okay. I don't think it needs to be a concrete definition. Like, these are. You you think that was gross and inappropriate. Right. Sure. And it doesn't, it actually in some way surprises me that the number is only 54%. I know, right? Um, but then I, th- I think it's good that people are waking up to the idea that like this happens in the workplace to a lot of women. Um, I, I really hemmed and hawed over whether I should post like a Me Too thing. Yeah. And I opted against it because I feel like I have been fortunate in that none of my examples of like men behaving badly rise to the level of horror of so many of the other things my female friends are posting. Yeah. So I kind of, it's like the equivalent of like, everybody's like, oh man, it's like, you know, cancer awareness day. And I'm talking about like people who have lost family members, me being like, I had a mole removed once. Like, you know, you don't want to be that, that, that guy or gal. Yeah. But like, I, I, what I wanted to also say is there have I have encountered men behaving badly, but I've also encountered men who like saw bad things happening and like did something about it. Like there are some guys that I work with at an organization I work with that shall remain nameless who saw me interacting with someone else in that organization. And it was I think the guy just thought he's like edgy, funny, but it was like gross. It was like you shouldn't be saying these things to anyone, much less a woman. Um, and I just thought like, do I say, do I, rep- do I like go tell a superior, like this guy is a super f- is creepazoiding me out or do I like, do I just walk it off? And I was like, I don't want to cause a thing, whatever. I'm not gonna say anything. And like a couple months later, I was talking to the other guys who had witnessed it or one of the other guys who had witnessed it. And he was like, Hey, I don't know if you remember, but like, remember that time when blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you remember that? And he was like, yeah, I like that was eye-opening to me to, like, see someone treating a woman like that in a workplace situation. And, like, me and this other guy, like, we went and told our boss because we were like, what the heck do we do? And, like, I don't feel like I need a white knight defending me, but I was really grateful for them. Because, like, again, I think sometimes, you know, men get a bad rap when all this stuff happens. But, like, these were good guys who saw what was happening and were like, oh, my gosh, this happens to women in the workplace? Like, this is not right. Like, something needs to be said. And where I was like... Uh, maybe it's not that big a deal. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Uh, like they, like they had the clarity of like, no, this is wrong, and I can say something to the boss, and I don't have to worry about anything. Right. So I'm gonna go say it. So like, kudos to them. If they're listening, they may or may not know that it's them. But if they're listening, thank you. Well, that's nice. That was great, guys. I, I don't. You know, I mean, it's. I guess it's troubling, and I know people have been posting this this particular concern. Is like, you know, do you just start? Do you tell a story where the person who was there 
is like, hey, what? That was me. What? You know? (laughs) Yeah. And there's, you know, some, you know, if they're not like in Harvey Weinstein territory, they just simply made a very bad choice. You know, they spoke in a way that they did not understand how it came across. Um, I believe they weren't trying to inflict harm. They were just being stupid. Um, Do you just sort of reveal those stories when they are, you know, still living and breathing and walking around. And, you know, I think it's a little bit complicated, but, um, but for sure, I don't think that this is, and I know people have been trying to make like a party thing, like they're, you know, Democrats are, have these folks and Republicans have these folks. I mean, only, I I don't think any women are making that argument. Like maybe there are men who might be trying to find some sort of party thread here, but every woman knows that this is, this is a very bipartisan thing that happens. This is not, there is no, nobody's cornered the market on behaving well or behaving badly. Everybody, you know, everybody's, uh, everybody's fair game here. So, and there's also, you know, this, as you mentioned, this is just one piece of the puzzle, right? Like the fact that a year ago I'm in a meeting with Patrick and we're sitting there and there's a a client, a dude on the other side of the table who just casually asks me like, so when are you going to start popping them out? Like that's a direct quote about is Kristen ever going to have kids? Like, and I wanted to reach across the table and just strangle this guy, but instead it's like, well, this is a client meeting, so I gotta, okay, sure. And he probably thinks he's just being friendly, but it's disgusting and it's inappropriate and like, I mean, also we need to work on your phrasing, like from a messaging perspective, as your consultant, maybe let's not use that language to describe the miracle of childbirth. They're just not uh, thinking. But they're just like not, but then like, okay, does that rise to the level of like, it is technically a man saying something gross to me that de- involves my reproductive system. Right. That's you, not okay. I mean, you simply can't battle all of them, you know? I mean, you you can, but there's too many there's literally too many. So, you know, and they change from it all changes from like something really gross to, you know, to just assumptions that you work part-time because your kids are young or, you know, hey, great idea, Bob, about something that you just said or what have you, you know, all the, you know, it just, it just changes into, evolves into something else. Something to look forward to um, for the younger listeners is that the harassment you have in your 20s becomes different kind of discrimination in your 40s. But um, so anyway, um, I, but yeah, I agree. I was amazed that that was 54% and not higher. And the sort of power dynamic at work obviously is part of this is not always the you know what's troubling but it's certainly part of it they even asked i thought this was interesting um how did this make you feel humiliated intimidated angry ashamed they had four different questions and angry was the most common response um ashamed was the least but still a third felt ashamed and that you know that's troubling because you know, in a lot of these situations, certainly the situation with the the mo- more egregious examples for me is that I had to talk to these people. You know, I had to spend years talking to these people because they were not people you could escape very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're confronted with, like, why am I talking to these people? <laughs> like, why do I have to talk yeah. to these people? Like, is something wrong with me because I'm still talking to this person? Like, shouldn't I be, like, burning burning his house like, down? Like, why should you have to hurt your own career because right. this person is gross? That's right. 
That's right. And, and why that's a horrible position to be stuck in and it happens too often. Right. And now, you know, you have women telling their stories bravely and in incredibly touching and moving ways. So men will know that this is a problem because, you know, women already know that it's a problem. So that's problematic too. Pew, relatedly, came out with some data that just happened to come out around all this. Uh, I'm sure they were in the field well before all this stuff came out about gender in general, not sexual harassment or um, uh, more specifically. And they found some party differences, but they weren't massive compared mm-hmm. to some of the other things we sometimes see about how have changing gender roles affected things like women's ability to lead satisfying lives. That was uh, one of the places where there was b- biggest difference. 58% of Democrats said yes. 36% of Republicans said Yes, uh, marriage is to be successful. Men are leading more satis- satisfying lives. Um, women being successful at work, that was some place where there was real partisan agreement. I mean, I was kind of amazed at how much partisan agreement there was in some of these things. Well, and part of that, I think, is driven by this really interesting divide. So they took the Democratic crosstab and split it out by education level. And here you see, if it had been Republicans versus Democrats with a bachelor's degree, those dots would have been really far apart on the charts. But the Democratic Party is not just a party of people with bachelor's degrees. And there are huge differences between Democrats with a high school diploma or less and those with a bachelor's degree or more, especially on the question of men have it easier than women in our country these days. Only 27% of Democrats with a high school diploma or less agree with that compared to 69% of bachelors. Basically, the idea of like, does male privilege exist? Right. You have a very different view of that if you do or do not have a college degree. Yeah. I mean, then in a similar question, this is not just among Democrats. This is just breaking out education overall. They said, um, have you personally experienced discrimination or been treated unfairly because of your gender? So for men across all these various subgroups, there's not a whole lot of difference in the percent saying, yes, I've experienced some gender discrimination. Among women, there are differences. So 43% of women said they personally experienced some discrimination or treated unfairly. 57% of women with bachelor's degrees or higher have said that. 31% of women with high school or less have said that. So there's a real difference in the perception of feeling discrimination among women based on education. Other thing that's interesting, um, if you are a Republican woman, only 34% of Republican women think that they have ever been treated unfairly or discriminated against because of their gender, compared to that 51% of Democratic women. But for men, it is Republican men who are more likely to feel they have been victims of discrimination at 20% compared to 14% for Democratic men. Yeah. So anyway, pretty interesting stuff. They all had, um, you know, this who has it easier, men or women. There isn't any group, though, that says women have it easier. (laughs) That that at least we can have some kind of agreement on. 35% overall of adults say men have it easier. A majority say there's no real difference. Democrats and Republicans obviously feel pretty different about that. Half of Democrats think men have it easier. Just a fifth of Republicans think men have it easier. Again, that difference is you see an interesting difference by education. Lots more folks with a college degree think men have it easier. Folks with high school or less think it's the same. I mean, it's sort of like, I don't know if you've read Hannah Rosen's The End of Men, right, where she talks about 
what's happening with men, particularly downscale men versus their female counterparts. So that, that's, you know, you could see that potentially reflected in some of these findings. Well, there's another interesting study that's out, and this was, uh, it's featured in Marie Claire magazine, and it's a partnership between friend of the show, she should run, and, uh, vote run lead. I don't know what vote run lead is. Um, they can be friends of the show. Yeah, too. they can be, so she, she should run is a nonpartisan, non-ideological, uh, just getting more women to run for office yep. organization. Um, and like doing a quick, like, what is vote run lead? Are they partisan? Are they nonpartisan? Um, and anyhow, they what they did is they did a survey of, it looks like 700 women who said they were considering running for office. Yeah. And their findings are pretty interesting. Um, they found that, when did they decide to run? So most had said they decided to run, you know, before the November 2016 election, but 43% said it was after um, the last election that they decided to jump in. Right. Folks just saying... Okay, it's time. Yep, thirty. Although uh, it's hard, we don't know what it would be in other cycles because a lot true. of folks wait until after Doesn't the election to make. Just mean it's the Trump. Yes, the Trump effect. Yes. Um, then there's why are they running? Thirty six percent top answer. It's to have more women at the table. What's motivating them? Fifty three percent say they don't like the direction the country is headed in. And what are their biggest fears? 54% their qualifications being questioned, which I think leads into the next story we're going to talk about, which is the Amy Cuddy story. Yeah. Well, which she's just not running for office. No. But 95% of women, by the way, before we do that, of women surveyed said women candidates are not treated fairly in the political arena. Yikes. Very interesting. <sighs> that is very high. Um, okay. So yeah, Amy Cuddy. Power posing. Have you seen the TED Talk, by the way? Have you ever watched the TED Talk? It's really, so it's I didn't very see well the TED done. Talk. Actually, it was at a Marie Claire event. It was one of their like pa- DC power list. You know, they do, people, yeah. they do these lists every so often. And, you know, whenever like a fashion magazine does some kind of a fancy list, it's like you get to briefly not be in like DC, Washington, blah. And it's like That's everything's right. fancy and fabulous. Um, and, like I was seated at, seated at the lunch next to the lady who does Vanity Fair's international best dressed list. Mm. Clearly yeah. an oversight. Right. Clearly an oversight that I did not win her over <laughs> with my like, you know, leather pencil skirt and whatever the heck blouse I fished out hey, of the you know, if you're not wearing white tights and sneakers, you're doing all right. Hey, right I, I try, I try. <laughs> um, but so yeah, Amy Cuddy came and she did the talk about like, you know, if you hold your hands – that like, you know, there's a reason why people instinctively, like, you'll hold your hand in a V above your head, like the victory pose, and it just right. makes you feel better about things. Like you say both. And I do an now, example. after having seen her talk, like, consciously try not to sit with my shoulders hunched in and, like, right. my legs all crossed. I mean, like I'm doing right now. Me like, too. I'm sitting, like, as small as possible. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I try to project. The vignette is, you know. know I don't like man spread, but, I, you know, I try. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, look, I mean, you know, it certainly makes a difference in how you appear and, you know, how you feel. And she, her argument is. Even if it's the placebo effect. I don't care. If right. it works, it works. Right. So her argument is not just how people perceive you. It's how you feel. That was the crux of her thing, which I haven't watched in a while. But if you were like a woman in Washington, I'm willing to bet if you're a professional sort of woman who does what we do in Washington, I'm willing to bet that you have either watched the Sheryl Sandberg or the Amy Cuddy TED Talks, one, if not both of those, you know, within the last like five years, right? Because they are both kind of like 
best, you know, top hits, right? Best sellers, if you will. Um, and so I haven't watched it in a few years, but it, you know, she does, she goes through like a personal story. It's very compelling. It's a super compelling. She'd been involved talk. in a car accident when yep. she was in college and had yep. to like regain her brain function. Right. It's like, wow. Right. And you know, how does the power pose, you know, help you overcome the imposter syrup, you know, syndrome of feeling you don't deserve to be here. So she tells a story of how she didn't feel that she deserved. And then she passes along that. I don't want to give away sort of a turn, but she gives, passes along that vibe or that confidence to somebody else. Like you deserve to be yeah. here. And for, for those who are lucky enough not to know what imposter syndrome is, uh, it's, it's legit. So imposter syndrome <laughs> is, it's the idea that you may be somebody who's very successful, but you kind of like live in fear that like, like, do I actually deserve this success? Like, am right. I really just a fraud that, like, at any minute people are going to figure out? You'll like, be unmasked. Like, at one minute people are going to realize, like, Kristen and Marjorie don't know anything about polling. And, like, we'll be unmasked and they'll be like, no, Kristen's actually just a moron. You know, I mean, is that is that ever going to happen? And, like, that, like honestly. If you've made the, it this far in the show, then you will not be that person, <laughs> probably. <laughs> that will unmask us? Who knows? Uh, but, I, like, I... Uh, the first time I ever learned that imposter syndrome was a thing, I was like, oh, I feel that. Yeah. Oh, I feel that. The idea that like, oh, I could never run for office because I don't have a PhD in public policy. And like, what if I ran? And then they found out that like, I don't actually, like, I didn't know what CSR payments were before this right. week. And like, oh my gosh. Right. I, oh, and then we'll find out that I'm a fraud. Right. Just like that um, study that Womenomics or whatever, Claire Shipman and K uh, they their book showed there was a study that women need to have 60%. They need to feel, you know, men are fine applying for a job if they have 60% of the qualifications. Women need to feel they need to have 100% of the qualifications. Yes. Um, so the story that has, you know, popped in our timelines over the last few days is so Amy Cuddy rises to the the heights of fame in the world of social psychology, writes a book, does this TED talk, and it's based on this research paper that I think it was done in 2010. And the way the research was conducted, they swabbed the inside of people's mouths to check for like hormone levels of like testosterone and something else before and after the poses. And they were told the project was for something else, but you know, then were asked questions about how they felt. And the research showed both like a statistically significant change in the hormone levels and a statistically significant change in uh, how, felt, how they, how they like felt. how powerful you felt. Yeah. And so, you know, this is back in 2010. Well, since 2010, there has been a really big push in the social sciences and academic world for replication. That the idea was that too many papers were getting published that were actually based on kind of weak science and were getting sold. I was like, this is the thing. Though, you know, I just saw one in my Twitter feed today that was like, studies show that children do better on tests if they pretend that they're Batman before they like take the test, you know? And it's like, okay, so there's a lot of like... I'm going to try that on Beckett. I know, I know. <laughs> Tell me Darth Vader and see if it works. Um, you know, so there's a lot of kind of like goofy stuff out there, right? And that you can have like a shoddy research design that like finds and I'm doing this scare quotes gesture with my hand you know oh that it's significant that if kids pretend they're Batman they do better on math tests well, or whatever and then you have like p newspapers and outlets who want a story so they just take and, a little well, and thing and make it into something interesting because nobody wants to read like a really carefully nuanced you know here but the other side says this article in a 200 word blog post yeah like I can say I can explain with a whole bunch of data why I think Republicans have a long-term problem with young voters, and the headline can get put on a piece that's like, 
Republicans lose youth vote forever. <laughs> it's right. like, well, forever's a long time. <laughs> right. Or, you know, maybe the, we back off that a little. <laughs> or the story we, the article that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where all the headlines said, like, campaigns don't matter. And I think even the people who wrote that study said, like, well, that's not really what we're saying. Not really what we're saying. But what's the interesting link there, though, is that their paper went through and did a meta analysis of other people's things and sort of. It's this idea of like you go back and you poke holes in the things that somebody else has already done by trying to replicate it. And right. if it's true, you should be able to get the same results. Um, and so this somebody tried to replicate Amy Cuddy's study. Part of it turned out to be okay, but part of it said, no, there's actually no finding here. And so suddenly Amy Cuddy went from being like the one of the most famous social psychologists, like top of her field, you know, everybody's talking about it, to suddenly these blogs, which were kind of like the – uh, research cops, you know, were like, right. oh, her research is shoddy. And then it became very personal that, like, she herself is a fraud and that, like, oh, well, she'd been in a car accident. She must not have, you know, and, like, people people who may be friends with people who listen to this show, people who may listen to this show, like, may have been involved in the, like, public stoning of Amy Cuddy. Right. And so it's this idea of like when she did her research, I, it doesn't seem to me that there was any ill intent to like go hunting for – it's just that there were there were standards of how you did research in 2010 that are no longer the standards in the field and that now the research has does not stand up to the level of scrutiny that people are putting on it. But this has led Amy Cuddy to be like – drummed out of the profession so and like, right with her like even she and it's not she, she did not do like what that lacour dude did which we talked about a few weeks ago yeah. where he just made up data right you know like that's that's not what happened here fabricating a story versus yeah something else. um right. so anyhow i you read this whole story about these this gang of guys in the statistics space just like coming for amy cuddy and it destroying was, her and it's like I I mean I get it. I don't want shoddy research out there. I, but like that that this was more than that. So there are so there are a couple like of, ill to read it. So like, so one thing I got and so folks should, so I should be clear like I didn't even, I haven't read the original study she did. You know, I watched the TED Talk a couple years ago. I read the article in the New York Times Magazine. I've seen this coverage get out a little bit because it's not the first time this story about her has been covered. Um I would say a couple things. Uh, is the desire to have like a satisfying takedown being oversimplified in the way that p the takedown people feel research is being oversimplified? Is there a desire for a narrative, whatever, whatever kind of narrative you were looking for? And that it's quickly coalesces around some story without any kind, without maybe as much attention to the detail and nuance as some folks would like. So that's one theme that emerged for me. Um, the other is, you know, the, well, one, I mean, the other is, you know, there were people saying that she was facing more criticism because she was a woman than perhaps a man would have, right? Which we don't know because, you know, we, we are only looking the story about her and, you know, is there a comparable story? I mean, people sometimes go after the methodology of like, Malcolm Gladwell, for example, or, you know, you're oversimplifying, and he's not a primary researcher, but people saying, oh, you're oversimplifying these studies to make a good story. And you could say, like, everybody's got a different role to play, right? Some people are there to be the, you know, to write the detail, and some people are there to make it, you know, 
a story, a research story that somebody else who's not in academia wants to listen to. And sometimes those things are in conflict and everybody's got a different role to play. There, I think there's room for everybody there. And then the third thing is if you read um, the study and certainly if you watch the TED Talk, like it's not really about the hormone change that makes her story compelling, right? That makes her study and her, her spiel compelling. It's that you can change how you feel. And that is actually has, was replicated by a lot of these studies. The fact that, you know, you actually change how you feel and how powerful you feel and how risk taking you may want to be. Uh, I believe that metric too, based on your, your postures. And isn't that also, you know, isn't that also worthwhile? It's not simply just about the hormone change. I understand why people want to have that conversation. I'm not sort of dismissing the statistical conversation there, but it is, it, it seemed like the, the, folks at Data Collada or whatever it is, or, or dis and other folks involved in this whole story, dismissing the importance of what this is actually about, which is, you know, getting a lot of folks to, you know, to think about how they present themselves in a way, not just so others see, see them differently, so they see themselves differently. So, you know, you know, to take away that finding, which, you know, seems pretty self-evident in a dismissive, like hand-waving kind of way is unfortunate. Yeah. I, I just, I felt like this knot in my stomach the whole time I was reading the story, because if you've ever been like, I feel like I'm really good at my job and I feel like I'm knowledgeable about what I do, but like, I'm always worried that like one day I'm going to be on a panel and someone's going to ask me a question. I'm going to say something that just like betrays that like, I don't have a PhD in statistics and oh gosh, and it's all going to come crashing down and I'm going to have to just go teach, you know, go, go teach third grade and like that, that, you know, which actually would be really fun. And I've been considering that more and more as like a very pleasant career change to be honest. Uh, but I mean, like, you know, the idea that one day you would wake up and there's some swarm, there's, some there's a swarm. swarm that's like, we just found out this thing you built your career on is totally wrong. And you like have to leave your tenure track position over yeah. it. And it, it does not look like she was engaged in, like, malfeasance here. Yeah. Like, she could have – you could be more um, accepting of criticism, but it seems like the critics could have been not jerks about it. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe the way I, I will well, pleasantly – Hashtag me too, Kristen. I know exactly what you mean. Okay. So uh, – Just a quick trip around the world. Yeah. Pulsers take a bow once again. Hey, millennials, guess what? You're running a country for the first time. Actually, it's not for the first time because Kim Jong-un is also a millennial. Disavow, disavow. Uh, mm. there, are, there are other millennial leaders, but they are Kim Jong-un and I think the crown prince in Saudi Arabia. So elected, elected millennial. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sebastian Kurtz, he's a center-right, uh, he's the guy leading the center-right party there. Again, his rise to power, I characterized it in my column about him as it's the equivalent of being the college Republicans chair and like three years later becoming secretary of state and then becoming president. Like, that's his path. Mm. Whoa. Uh, and it is. You're going to have every college Republican bro with it, that column now, like in his dorm room, like pasted on like thumbtacked. I too thumb can be tacked. the prime minister of Austria. Uh, thumbtacked on the bulletin board, my, like next to their desk. My buddy Alex Shriver, who was the national chair of the college Republicans during uh, 2011 and 2012. He did tweet out the, the article with that quote highlighted. <laughs> Like, all right, Shriver. <laughs> after after Brexit happens, are you up? <laughs> you, 
Are you going to be secretary? You're going to have like guys coming up to Patrick you after for like foggy bottom driver. A, a talk <laughs> like five years from now, like Christian, I am holding that column of yours in my wallet. <laughs> I'm still not in secretary oh, of state. <laughs> you misled me. So uh, all of which is to say, congratulations, pollsters in Austria. You were right. The poll suggested that the uh, OVP. Um, the Austria's People Party, Volksparty, uh, would win. It was his party. They did. In second place, um, you have uh, you you right now have the center left party ha- really kind of collapsed. Um, the polls showed they would kind of get anywhere between twenty three and twenty seven percent. The FPO, which is the far right party, showed they would get anywhere from twenty five to twenty seven percent. So polls basically got the Austrian election right. Yeah. And now there is likely to be a center right plus far right coalition. Hopefully that's not fake news and that has not changed since we started taping the show. No, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, this is the thing, right, for a lot of these elections in Europe is are they able to predict the percentage, the share that the far right gets? I think that's like one of the themes of all these various stories or has there been some, you know. These polls look, it looks like the polls got it right. So I don't think there's anything to suggest from any of the countries that have had elections in the past year that, um, that they're like hidden or shy far right voters who are not telling pollsters how they feel, but then there's a surge on election day or something like that. Like that doesn't seem to be the case in any of these places. I think, I think in, Germany, wasn't it like two or three extra points for yeah. AF, maybe even less? But it, again, that's margin of error right. territories. Yep. Okay. Scary Halloween polling. Occasionally, once in a while, we get an email that is, this is on. These, this is another one of these nationaltoday.com ones. Yeah, I got another funny one today. I think but- I got a, uh, I saw one that was about uh, chocolate. Oh, yes, chocolate. We got like National Chocolate Day. Yes, National Chocolate <laughs> Day. But it was no, but it was no poll. What was the other? It was another funny one that we got today. I can't remember. But anyway, um, this one is actually had a poll in it. Oh, no, the one that I got today that I almost sent to you was like, is it true that the, in- that the folks in the UK have worse teeth than the States, you know? And it had like some numbers about like <laughs> people in England and how often they go to the dentist or something. But it wasn't a poll. I was like, well, that seems like a bit of a stretch, even however amusing it may be. Um, so, <laughs> but this is a Halloween poll because, you know, it's this national today, which is like whatever the national day is. And so Halloween is actually an official thing, not, you know, just some sort of uh, imaginary holiday. And, of workplaces are encouraging their employees to dress up for Halloween. That is a lot. 72%? I don't know. This seems kind of high, just like the percentage of people. Just like National Boyfriend Day. Boyfriend Day. Like, I don't know. It seems pretty high. Um, Uh, One in four Americans are going to party with their coworkers on Halloween. Okay. A quarter plan to dress up to go trick-or-treating. I do have, you know, I I have young children. I go trick-or-treating. Um... You know, I do like Halloween. I just don't like the sort of hassle and expense of like putting together something really good. But I do enjoy a good Halloween. And the plurality say they prefer funny costumes followed up by cute, then scary, sexy, and gruesome at 3%. That is really... Well, I learned that from Mean Girls. (laughs) I forgot about that. Don't show up at the party dressed as an ex-wife with the... Nasty, gnarly. I forgot about that. 
And a mouse, duh. 62% of workers say their boss might even dress up. Huh. So are you going to dress up at, at Echelon? No, I'm going to be flying back from a client pitch out mm. on the West Coast. I have work to do, Margie, out of time. What if you showed up costumes. in your pitch in a costume and you're like, I, sorry, you know, I really, I really freaking like love Valley, Halloween. That's probably totally acceptable. I freaking love this holiday and I'm dressed up at, well, you know, you have to find something that. I am going to, uh, no, I don't know. I don't know if I have the guts to do it. We'll see. <laughs> or you could just have like some kind of piece, but you're like, oh, I have these like really long like black extensions because you know that's my costume tomorrow. You have, now and you're like, but and that like black so horrible, and like black n- long nails. You're like, but in the, I don't uh, but you're regular for but what that's what that's like a completely no Mean Girls. That's <laughs> long, long black hair. The holy not... text of Mean Girls is yes. <laughs> you have to pick something cute. Okay, all right. So key findings: the numbers continue to look bad for Trump. But what do I know? I only read the non-fabricated news. Are you more concerned about nationalism here or abroad, or about conflict with North Korea, lack of trust in news, or partisanship? Don't worry, there are polls to freak you out whatever it is that you're concerned about. And we can all basically agree that women don't have it easier than men. I guess that's what counts for good news in the polls right now. And if you want to scare your coworkers for Halloween, just tell them to listen to the pollsters. Whoa. <laughs> you're going to have to edit that's that out. Sound, like no, that sounded good. That, that was sounded good. Okay? Yeah, okay. That was good. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mara and at K. Soltis Anderson. Find us on Facebook. Throughout the week, we post links to all the stories we might be talking about on our upcoming shows. We're also at www.thepollsters.com where we've curated a fabulous set of links to great polling resources. Make sure you tell your friends we always love new listeners tweet at us let us know what you think and if you really like us we would love it if you left a review great thanks bye